Hey everybody, what's going on? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Real Sports, presented by Thunderblogsports.com, a part of the Bullpen Cart podcast feed. Emily and I are back to cover episodes 7 and 8 of The Last Dance. These were probably the best episodes so far. And sadly, we only have one episode left, or one week left, I should say. But we break everything down of Jordan playing baseball, his retirement, I'm back, the 96 championship, and the first couple rounds of the 98 championship, because that's what episode 7 and 8 covered. This one was a lot of fun to record. We think you guys are really going to like it. Let us know what you think in the comments. As always, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Search The Bullpen Cart on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Mash that subscribe button. Leave us a nice five-star review. Find us on Twitter. ThunderBLG is the handle there. Find us on Facebook and join our Facebook group. Be a part of the conversation. Search The Bullpen Cart Podcast. And like I said, be a part of the conversation. Submit questions, all that good stuff. But enjoy this episode, guys. We're going to be back later in the week with a mystery episode, not giving away what that one's going to be about. So make sure you subscribe. And here we go. Welcome to this episode of Real Sports, presented by Thunderblogsports.com, a part of the Bullpen Cart podcast feed. I, of course, am the G-Man, Jordy Cannell. Joining me, as always, is my lovely fiance, fresh from a at-home bike ride, no free ads. It is Emily Anderson. How are you? I'm good. I want a fun nickname. Yeah? Yeah. We, we started to shy away from calling me... G-Man and Matt, Matty D. People like Jordy and Matt. You know? You're using it then. If you I just say I'm the G-Man Jordy Cannell, but then mm. people call me Jordy throughout the podcast. Right. I don't know. We could do a poll. Yeah. Do I need a nickname? Do you need a nickname? <laughs> Does E-Lady. No, that's not E-reader. a good one. Eh. No. That was a Nintendo device from the mid-2000s. What did you say? E-Reader. Oh, I just think of like a Kindle. Yeah, E-Reader was a... They used it on Pokemon cards, also other cards, like Mario Party, the board game, had it. Mm. But it was a plug-on to a Game Boy Advance, and you scanned your cards, and it showed mini games for Mario Party. The Pokemon one was really stupid, because um, it, it had nothing to do with the Pokemon trading card game, but it was on Pokemon trading card game cards. But regardless, we're not here to talk about any Nintendo mid-2000s products. We're here, we are to, here to talk about my nickname. Yes. <laughs> and while we do that, let's talk about episode 7 and 8. Of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary about his whole career. It's not even just the 97-98 season. Although this covers a two-month period of yeah. the 1998 season, episode 7 and 8. We're like getting We're, we're getting, getting into the up. thick of it. Yeah, we were trying to figure out, and we'll probably theorize towards the end, of how the rest of the time is going to be covered. Because even last night, Sunday night, recording this Monday, we... Tried to figure out how much we would see, and we got through two rounds. So it mm-hmm. seems like we're going to get Eastern Conference semis in, in Episode 9 and the finals in in Episode 10. Um, but regardless, we start with Round 1 and the Nets, which we actually talked about uh, a month ago, I think is when we recorded One and Not Done. Yeah. John Calipari documentary um, with 
Coach Cal, this is where we start episode seven. They don't even show him. Yeah, they don't even show him, which I thought was really interesting. We kind of coincidentally covered a lot of different documentaries that are being covered, or at least touched upon, in The Last Dance. The only one we didn't do that's really shown a lot in episode seven was Jordan Rides the Bus, right. which maybe we do later this week. That might be a, a touching way to do it. We have an, another idea in the think tank, mm-hmm. not in the can because we haven't recorded it yet. But we'll figure that out. But we start with the 98 playoffs, the first round, and there's really much to talk about here. The Bulls sweep them. We did get a, a you know, some of the... They don't sweep them. Don't they lose the first game? That's the whole thing. Pretty sure they swept them. Oh. Just got close. They, they oh, took right. them to overtime. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, I swear I watched this twice. You did watch this twice. <laughs> but we got... Some of the, the, what's now the TNT crew, we got Kenny Smith, who... Literally, the only note I wrote for this beginning part was Kenny Smith's mustache. Yes. Like, it's a, it's a sight. It is a sight to see. And it's kind of funny because, you know, Kenny is... You think of him being with Shaq and with Charles Barkley, and this is the tail end of Barkley. He, Bar- Barkley may have just retired at this point, but Shaq is just... Starting. Just starting. And yeah. I think he's just moved to L.A. Um, in 1990, by 98, for sure. Um, but he had just retired. He retired in 1997. He also went to UNC and and went to UNC from 83 to 87 and then was in the NBA for 11 years, 87 to 97, and was on those two Houston Rockets championship teams that they don't – for sh- don't show in these two episodes, but you know they obviously end up going on to win in 1994, 1995. But that's where it starts to, to jump back to. We go first back to the after '93 when we heavily get the implication that Michael Jordan's going to retire, and we kind of get the events of that summer and mm-hmm. the you know they get the sad por- portion out of the way that everybody kind of knows what happened and sort of the reason of why Michael retired or what we thought the reason was or what you might have thought, I thought. So Michael Jordan's dad, sadly, gets murdered in North Carolina. He was uh, basically by himself playing golf and tried to drive back to, I don't know if it was all the way back to Chicago or if it was back to their family home in North Carolina. Yeah, I think his parents have, like, stayed in North Carolina. So yeah. I think he was, like... At Hilton Head, and then he was Yeah, I couldn't home. tell if it was Hilton Head or if it was, like, Data Beach or... I'm pronouncing that wrong, but one of, you know, one of those, like, a, a Outer Banks type yeah. of... But they said in, they had, like, a house in Hilton Yeah. Head. Oh, they, they did say I Hilton Head. So. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so he basically pulls over to get, take a nap. He, some guys try to rob him and end up shooting him after he wakes up. Uh, and it really, you know, becomes this manhunt. And it's not even instantly found out. He just never got picked up from the airport, which... Maybe in 2020, that is found out quicker. It seemed to take three or four weeks from a certain day in July that <sighs> someone may have been turning three on to the middle of August when they finally found the body ditched in a river. Yeah, but I don't think, like, I mean, you, I mean, I don't know how, if they had this, this is like true crime Emily coming out. Maybe that could be my nickname. Um... Like, you know, if you're robbing someone and you kill them, you're going to, like, ditch their cell phone. It's not going to, like, help you find them. Yeah, I they guess They found so. the car. Like, it's not like it wasn't 
Like, he was just missing. They just didn't have the body. They sure. knew that there was, like, some foul play because they found the car. Yeah. I don't... Yeah. The only thing I can think of is, like, in 93... Like, 93 versus today, like, what is the difference between of, of athlete security and including, like, technology of being able to ping things, but even just security in that regard of, like, if LeBron... Well, that's a bad example, but someone's dad, a pro athlete's dad, Bryce Harper's dad, or... Yeah whomever is out doing whatever and he's out by himself. Like I feel like Bryce would have chipped in or whoever, whatever athlete I'm just throwing out at Philly stuff in front of me. So that's why I thought of Bryce Harper's dad and LeBron's dad's a bad example. Um, but I feel like there's something like that, you know, I don't, I, I don't know, but anyway, we should stop speculating because that's in my opinion, part of what drove him out because MJ gets cut too and talks about his dad turned this to turn a negative into a positive, but the papers and the media really started to spin it. Obviously, the last episode focused a lot on Michael Jordan's competitive attitude and his competitive addiction uh-huh. that happened to include gambling. Uh, but they really tried to blame it on Michael's gambling and a lot of stuff that doesn't add up. Of you know, did somebody hide? You know, these two guys hit men, and is it because of Michael Jordan's gambling? And again, of, of looking at of if this was 2020, could you imagine like how that would have happened in 2020 today if people really were were going to say like this guy has a gambling problem? We think that uh, the mob or whomever sent guys after like. I don't think today it would come from like as mainstream of outlets as it sure. seems to come. Then I think it would come from like Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that that's something that's brought up on. Today's part of my take that where they end up having MJ's trainer on, mm. and it's uh, predominantly shown in both episodes. I think he, he looks like Jay Wright. He does look a little like Jay Wright. Um, but he, but they talk about before they bring him on of that it's Twitter eggs before Twitter eggs. But mm-hmm. these Twitter eggs happen to have now have incredible careers of guys that were legitimately writing this and taking it. Yeah, but it is probably someone. Like that guy that thought he was breaking all the the news of Kawhi coming to the Clippers, but first he said Kawhi was going to go to the Lakers and he was going to go to the Blazers. Remember that kid yeah. in L.A. that kept saying that? It's like people like that that think they have all these sources and like are just throwing out bullshit. Um, but there's no evidence thrown to it. And quickly it goes to what we all knew of Jordan retiring. And, and I didn't realize how close it was to the start of the 1993-94 season that Jordan ends up retiring. Yeah. Like this whole summer where you even think about last year using that as an example of Kawhi waiting so long to decide to go to the Clippers. Like that felt like an eternity. Mm -hmm. And Michael Jordan waited until the ALCS, which in the 90s was still the middle of October and not as late or not as late as it is now. Baseball playoffs have gone later. But did they not have training camp? Did he not go to camp? Yeah. Well, the NBA used to start later. That's the one thing is that it didn't start in like the last couple weeks of October. I remember, like, it used to be, like, November 5th or something. Like, the NHL would start basically October 5th or, you know, early October. The NBA started a month later. And that's kind of why the finals are a couple weeks after the NHLs is because that, that, that at least in my perspective of this, of course, I grew up in the 90s, so I, my real memories of this are 1997 to today. But I always remember it starting about a month later and because the NBA played their games in, in, more in concession or in succession in the regular season that 
it caught up it caught up closer to the NHL so the finals were right after the Stanley Cup finals ended mm. um so I think that's part of it but anyway we're, we're kind of getting off topic that we talked about it in the first episode that Jerry Reinsdorf owned the White Sox that's how he found Jerry Krause to become the GM He's in his box. The White Sox are hosting Game 1 against the Blue Jays, who would ultimately go on to, to defeat the Phillies in the World Series uh, with the Joe Carter touch them all call. White Sox hosting this. MJ comes out to throw the first pitch. In a crazy all-denim fit. Yeah, it, it's wild. That's some serious early <laughs> 90s attire. Like we talk, We've, in the Rodman doc, and a little bit in covering the Rodman episode, we talked about how quintessentially 90s Dennis Rodman is. Yeah. That is some serious 90s shit going on there. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Uh, so he throws out the first pitch. And almost what I could imagine was like Andrew Luck retiring last summer. Yeah. The news circulates that MJ is going to retire the next day. I'm trying to think. I feel like this... I can't even remember what it was, but I feel like there was like something that... like went through, like, we were at, like, a Sixers game, and I feel like something broke, and I feel like we felt it, like, go through the stadium, but I no, cannot... No, we were at a wedding when Andrew Luck retired. Yeah, but I don't think it was Andrew Luck. I think it was something else that, like... But I don't know what it was. And so this is to bad point, radio. Though, to your point, though, when Andrew Luck retired, when we were at this wedding, you couldn't go buy a table without hearing, holy fucking shit, I can't believe he did this, something like that. And that this is a, a wedding outside of Philadelphia in August of 2019. And at this, of like how crazy it seemed like those cameramen, journalists were flocking the owner's box. Not just a suite, but the owner's box mm-hmm. at a stadium. And again, this is the 90s. It's pre-9-11. It's not probably not as heavily ar- armed is a bad word, but heavily guarded yeah. of an area. But... Still, it's the owner's box. It's it's the man at the stadium in a nationally televised game on CBS, no less. <laughs> Just thought that was funny to see the MLB on CBS. Um, and I thought remembering the MLB on NBC was crazy enough. Of, But regardless, it's just insane to think about it and how quickly that went. And the next day, they show the images of this press conference... And how crazy all of that was. This is all walks of journalists are there. Yeah, like Tom Brokaw, Tom Brokaw is there. It's frequently shown uh, in this broadcast. Yeah, and it's just crazy the way it was covered. I think, I don't know if a lot of it was because like of talk radio. I'm sure all the radio stations were covering it. But there's a guy covering it and he's like, it's almost like... I want to say, like, a foreign... Di- like, if, like, in the 90s, like, Princess Diana was, like, landing somewhere. It was like, all right, they're approaching. They're approaching. And, like, he's got his hand to his ear. It's, like, quintessential, like, broadcast man. And he's like, all right. Sure, I know what you mean. Jordan's yeah. in front of him. He's, he's flanked by these two people. He's approaching the table. It's, like, a weird, like, press conference play-by-play that they show. It's like the the Seinfeld, the limo. Sure. Yeah, where George... Have you never seen that with Peter Krause? No. Where George accidentally, or George and Jerry claim that they're O'Brien. Speaking of Seinfeld. Yeah, we have to yeah, pour one out to... Jerry Stiller. Jerry Stiller, Frank Costanza, pour one out, mm-hmm. passed away today. Very sad news. Anyways. But Jerry and George say that they are, or George is O'Brien. Mm-hmm. 
so they could ride a limo back from, I think it's JFK, I don't think it's LaGuardia, but it's taking him right to, and actually bringing this back around, it's to Madison Square Garden, <laughs> and they think the Knicks are hosting the Bulls, and they want to see Michael Jordan play. Oh. But as they're getting taken out, they figure out that O'Brien is this like communist, white supremacist, or, or fascist white supremacist, those are two different things, <laughs> um, and that Peter Krause is like one of his supporters and everything, and as they get there, it's it's being announced as, like, O'Brien is pulling up in the limo. Here he comes, and it's just George and Jerry with the classic Seinfeld or Curb Your Enthusiasm, like, look of a, of the deer in the headlights of, oh, oh, my God, and the Seinfeld crazy bass riff or Curb Your Enthusiasm theme music. Emily's only really seen Curb. She's never seen mm-hmm. Seinfeld to all the, all the fans out there that are wondering why I'm explaining both. Mm-mm. But regardless, you're absolutely right there. Um. Yeah, and and everybody's at this thing. Not just Reinsdorf, not just Kraus, not just Phil, but David Stern's there. Yeah, which is incredible. That like the commissioner is there, and and obviously like, we're gonna get to the quote that Hannah Storm says about the conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. But the, the commissioner's there to watch a guy retire. Like I don't remember Goodell being there for Peyton retiring. Whenever Tom Brady retires, I don't think Goodell certainly isn't going to be there for him. Yeah. But, like, I can't think of... Like, I don't think Bettman was there when Wayne Gretzky retired, and I do not know that, so don't quote me. Like, but, is Adam Silver going to be there when LeBron Yeah, retires? exactly. That's what I'm wondering. Like, it, like, I get it's this shock of the world that this all happened. Or or to even use Andrew... Going back to Andrew Luck, of, like, if, if Goodell was there, of, like, this yeah. next face of the league... Just I feel retired like, out of nowhere. I feel like that's, like, the most apt comparison. Not, I mean, most apt, obviously, Andrew Luck, I don't think, is at Michael Jordan's level. He was, I don't, I honestly don't no, think uh, Andrew was, Luck ever reached his full potential. But just for someone to retire way before, like, the end of their prime. Like, what was Jordan, like, 31? Like, he was 30, he's, I think he was 30 turning 31. You know, like. I think he's a December baby. Think like you. Regardless, um, like LeBron right now is thirty five. Like yeah. it's just way before like, and as the rest of the doc and the three championships to come later show, way before the end of his prime. Yeah, so that's like more consistent with Andrew Luck than like a than like a Tom Brady who's like old as hell. So they get into the conspiracy, and as soon as they started to talk about it. We obviously talked about it a little bit last week. Yeah. And we wondered whether or not they'd address it. And you immediately go, oh, fuck, they're addressing it. Yeah. I think were your exact words last mm-hmm. night when we were watching it. And they explain it out of, of it. And they show the late, great David Stern addressing it mm-hmm. and saying it's total bullshit. And there's the Hannah Storm quote that you got so wonderfully down. Hmm. I was trying to give you a compliment of oh, your transcribing abilities. I don't think it was abilities. Hannah Storm that said that one. I'm pretty sure it's Hannah Storm. It's a guy. It was a guy? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, I think well, she's was... featured. Hannah Storm is in both back in the day Hannah Storm yeah. and modern Hannah Storm are both featured pretty prominently. Hannah Storm doing having the best like Monica Geller haircut yes. in her 90s, do, her 90s uh, bop, if you will. Yeah. But yeah, David Stern, the ultimate capitalist. Takes his number one star in his number one franchise to devalue the league for some secret penalty and no one finds out about it. I kind of think it was Wilbon. Was it Wilbon? Maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't know. But anyway. And then like the 
the Bulls like ticket guy was like, it's total bullshit. Can yeah. I say that? It's total bullshit. Yeah. Um, and also the one thing that kind of hits that falls in line with his father's passing is I don't I need to start like when I make these outlines like saying who said these things. Um, but someone had said like I know that it wasn't a conspiracy because he told me last year that he wanted to do this. Yeah, like, it was his trainer that said this. He said he told like, him in 92 in Barcelona that I have the Olympics and Magic and Larry never won three in yeah, a row. Yeah, I think he like had told I think he said it to the trainer in like a different part and then another guy said it. So he'd said it to multiple people, you know, like I want to win three in a row. I got to get through the Olympics. And then he was at peace with his dad then seeing his last basketball game. Yeah. And he wanted to play baseball, which was something that him and his dad always shared. And so... Tim Grover is the trainer's name. Tim Grover. Yes. There we go. I had to look up the episode of Pardon My Take that yes. I had referenced before to make sure I had the name and I didn't want to screw it up. Um, Been known to do that on these podcasts. But anyway. Uh, so he... Re- yeah, he references that he wanted that he mentioned in '92 that he wanted to play baseball and his dad really wanted it. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, and exactly what the quote was. But is in this is your for- first point there that he immediately says to MJ because he was basically an independent trainer that mm-hmm. Michael brought in to help him there. They didn't, they kind of had that with the Bulls, but he wanted to go to that next level. And obviously, you know, there's the stuff with the Pistons, and he wanted to get get bulked there. But he told Michael that basketball and baseball are completely different games just by the muscle groups that you use there. And this isn't going to be good for basketball if you ever do want to go back. And we kind of skipped over it, but Michael Jordan has this grin on his face. He feels at peace with everything. And obviously I think he had the idea, like, I'm going to retire, I'm going to go play baseball. And he's told this, and he doesn't care. He's more than willing to do whatever. And they kind of weirdly show him at spring training with, like, medicine balls and, like, mm-hmm. trying to throw stuff and whatever. Um, and it's, it's, he didn't care. We saw last week Michael Jordan's that competitive that he wanted to do this. And they go through this montage with his one brother and showing how he loved baseball and everything and, and that he really loved to play it and his dad taught it to him and like you said his dad he was at peace that his dad saw him wear 23 playing his last basketball game mm-hmm. which is why even in baseball he chose 45 which is you know not a you know typical number especially even outfielder to wear you know out, out in the outfield mm-hmm. so he goes to he signed by the White Sox and Reinsdorf says like he continues to pay his basketball salary he was like because he was just like criminally underpaid his whole career i guess in just terms of basketball salary not in terms of like endorsements and everything um but they have to send him to double a because of just because of the media facilities he was like we don't send anyone like we don't send kids in high school or like right out of college to double a like they're not ready but like we just he just had to do it because like the media swarming on all these, like, tiny towns would have just, like, crippled the facilities. Hearing that, if he's still doing that to this day, which I, I should look up if Jerry Reinsdorf still owns the White Sox, I think he does. Mm-hmm. That is, as we've learned, not how baseball teams still function 
that some people will go right to double A. But oh, at that Gary time, Reinsdorf is a CPI. Look at that. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, good for him. Um, He's a tax attorney. Well, good for him. He does still own them. Okay. Yeah, but so you know, the, in the example that I can think of as a player, I'm going to compare a couple of Michael, specifically strikeouts, of some of Michael Jordan's baseball stats too. But Juan Soto went right to double A and had that great season. Or he might not have gone right to double A, but popped up there. There and it's not it, it's not like it does it never happens, but you know there are players that do that nowadays. That being said, it's wild to think about. I never knew that that's why he went to double A. I just figured he's 31 years old. He's played 10 years of professional sports that he was just that he was good enough to go right to double A. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was just because Reinsdorf knew, hey, you know what? Like we're going to have the, these towns swamped. Um, I was about to say Canapolis, but we know that they weren't a White Sox affiliate yet. They were still with, with the Phillies. <laughs> that being said, um, Terry Francona was his manager, which I had forgotten your dad pointed this out to us. Like, Yeah, I knew. Ago. He asked. He, my dad loves... He'll sometimes pop up with trivia questions because Jordy is the best at sports trivia. So I think my dad like is always trying to stump him. He'll be like, ask Jordy if he knows the answer to this. And Jordy didn't. And we, I, he, my dad had told us like a month ago that Tara Francona was Michael Jordan's minor league manager. This was like around the time that it was announced that like the last dance was going to yeah, start so, yeah. early. So MJ was on the minds of lots of people. Let's see. I'm looking at some. Well, so they show Francona talking about it. And to hear Terry Francona's analysis of Michael Jordan, he takes such a methodical way of describing it. Because it, it's not like someone who played with him or against him. This is his manager. He could have, sorry, he could have gone to the South Bend Silverhawks. Oh. Where the Hickory Crawdads. Oh, that was. I believe the South the South Bend Double A team a. is now a is a South A Single A team Midwest League. I don't know. I'm just telling you what I in '94 what it was. I think the current South Bend team is a Cubs affiliate. Mm. And then the dub the High A was the Prince William Cannons, which was in Virginia. Oh wow! And then the Birmingham Barons. Do you know what the Triple A team is in '94? So it's no longer the Charlotte Knights? No, it's different. But it's it's like a fairly well-known and popular AAA team. Durham Bulls? In a, te- in a city that like doesn't have Major League Baseball, but should. Nashville Sounds? Mm-hmm. Wow, okay. Uh, um, anyway, sorry. I only knew that from you saying should have Major League Baseball. Nashville's a great city. I would agree, I agree that, it, that if Major League Baseball expands... Which I thought there was more opportunity and more talk to, and maybe I just read certain articles. <laughs> Our good friend Seth declared that there's no appetite for it in baseball. In the most recent episode that we recorded, uh, baseball stuff and fun ideas Major League Baseball can bring back mm-hmm. or can bring on. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, go listen to it. It was great. It's a long podcast, but it's a ton of fun. It'll fly by. It flew by for us last Friday night when we recorded it. But anyway, going back to Terry Francona talking about him as his manager it's just really interesting to hear like not just like a baseball mind that sounds too cliche but like we've been hearing all this basketball talk and like Phil and obviously Phil Jackson's a very different mind than Mm -hmm. what we've heard from anyone else (laughs) 
it's just really interesting to hear how a baseball manager thought of Michael Jordan, not just as his manager, but also of Michael Jordan's work ethic. And it also like has to be crazy. I don't, I don't know like how old Terry Francona was at the time of playing with Michael. I mean, he's sixty-one now. So, what was that? Twenty-seven he's years ago. Yeah. Thirty-four, five. Yeah. Like he'd what? Be, if, he'd be thirty-four. What does a thirty-four-year-old do when like? Michael Jordan comes to your team and you're like, hey, man, I guess I'm your manager. Like, what? So... Like, that must be crazy, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely crazy. (laughs) He... So I'm just reading his Wikipedia page pretty quickly, and I should have pulled up his baseball reference because I have that for MJ and for said player. But I guess so he began coaching in 1991 Mm -hmm. for the Sarasota White Sox in in the Rookie League. And then he went up to South Bend, the South Bend White Sox, 92... Midwest League, I called it, and then became the manager of the Birmingham Barons in 1993. And wow, he was uh, he his total record was 223 and 203. And in 1993, he was the Southern League Manager of the Year and Baseball America's Manager of the Year in mm. 1993. And then top managerial candidate in 1994, the same year that he was the manager of Michael Jordan. Um, which, also crazy to think about, to, to actually back Reinsdorf of being like, we're not going to send a guy to double-A. They won the South, the, the not South League, the Southern League Championship in 1993. Which, granted, organizations you know, move players up and down and all that. But still, like presumably, their farm system is pretty well stocked. They yeah. don't need to put Michael Jordan, you know, the, as the, let's see, whatever if man on the totem pole of outfielders in the White Sox organization. Um, especially when they're, you know, they're that good that they had won the American League West in 93 as well. Now, all that being said, we get a lot of good Jordan baseball highlights, and it was just fun to yeah. see baseball. Can I ask you a random question about minor league ownership? Sure. So, does Jerry Reinsdorf own the Birmingham Barons, or does another person own them? I believe... It's mixed in baseball. Mm. I think some own their teams and some just have deals with their teams. So I do not know. Okay. Um, and I could be wrong with that, too. I think I there think could you're be, right. Like, for instance, we know with Kannapolis, for instance, Emily's cousin used to work for them. And we know that they had a one owner ownership and then had a different shift, owner. Yeah. yeah, they had an ownership change. So I think they had a deal with the White Sox. But I think like some teams own it. I think hockey's similar, too. Where some teams own it and some don't, like basketball, the G League is all owned by their I by their so, main yeah. team now, right? It used to not be. I don't know. I think it used to not like when it not, when some teams weren't all, like some teams were sp- had split affiliations or like mm. players were randomly getting sent all over the place. Yeah, but they also just like have one team. It's not like levels and yeah. all that stuff. Um, I was just wondering because I was thinking like those minor league owners must have been so freaking happy that Michael Jordan was playing a season in minor league because I can't imagine like minor league owners an incredibly lucrative um, like position, but they were saying that if Jordan came to town, it was a sellout. There were like people scalping tickets. Like those owners must have been over the moon about it. Like, making fortunes on the back of Michael Jordan playing double-A baseball. Oh, I'm sure they did. <laughs> um, I'm trying to look this up of 
of who who owns what and searching F or control F searching owners, it just shows outright ownerships and stuff like that and having affiliations with major league teams. Um, I feel like it's I feel like it's split. At I some. feel like that makes sense. If somebody knows the answer to this, please let me know and let Emily know. Tweet at us. It's interesting. Thunder BLG for the Thunderbog, Jordo Nine, Third and Girl underscores on both sides of the of the and for Emily. Um, and while you're at it, if you have not subscribed to the Bullpen Card Podcast feed, go subscribe to it. Gotta give that mid podcast so plug. Hey, you... trying to run a business. I'm here. here for it. Anyway, onward with more episodes. We get Michael Jordan starts off his minor league career with a 13 game hitting streak. Mm-hmm. Also, didn't know this. Yeah. I didn't know any really about it, the in depth stats. I thought Michael Jordan stunk at baseball. Oh, and that's according why to Sports Illustrated. Year. Yeah, we get him. An SI cover, the one SI cover Michael Jordan never wanted to have, him swinging and missing at a curveball. Basically, they, the way that they made this sound was that pitchers just threw fastballs, threw fa- not even just fastballs, just grooved in fastballs and let Michael Jordan, with his lunge swing and he kind of flicks his wrists at the bat. Yeah, um, and it's not a terrible swing, but it's not, not Ken Griffey Jr. out there, but it makes it sound like they were just grooving in fastballs to him. And then Michael Jordan's just bringing him off. But it's this pitch of him. The ball, the way that they described it before they showed it was that, like, the ball would have been below the bat. But it's still, like, Michael Jordan swing way late in a mm-hmm. curveball. Um, and it says bag at Michael. And Michael Jordan, classic MJ, is pissed. I personally can hold a grudge. Like, I'm very good at it. It's not a great character trait, but it is what it is. No, I don't think anyone can hold a grudge like Michael Jordan. No. I think he is, like, king of grudge holders. Like, so Sports Illustrated puts out this cover. They don't ask him for an interview, comment, anything. They kind of just, like... It's kind of like when people write, like, clickbait stories and they don't have any, like, actual quotes to back it up. It's just, like, clickbait. Yeah. And he's, like... They didn't ask. Like, they just wrote this story. They didn't interview me for it. Like, interview me, ask me the question, and then write the bad story. Then I don't care. But, like, you did nothing. And so he just never speaks to Sports Illustrated again. The only thing I can imagine, if this happened today, how much we've covered Tim Tebow's career in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. Has he given that up? I do not know. I can look that up. But to finish my thought, of Michael Jordan popping up on first take, first things first. Um, Pardon the interruption. PTA, oh, Will Bond would have been very excited about Michael Jordan's 13 game hitting streak. Um, Undisputed, that's the Skip Bayless show. Um, First Things First is with a bug eye. What's the other one with the four? What's the Lubbetard one? Oh, uh, Highly Questionable? Yeah. Yeah. Around the Horn would have been. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking. Where they give out the fake points. Yeah, Around the Horn. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Highly Questionable is him and Bomani and some of other people. No, no, Around the Horn. They have, like, the four boxes, yeah, and they're, yeah, yeah. like, ten points, and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, 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 they're wild. Yeah. Um, Katie Nolan goes on that a lot. Anyway, <laughs> I could, a, we, we could have a real around the horn. I'm just apologizing. This is a podcast of tangents. It's fine. I think we got a lot of positive reviews about last week's, and that was our longest did one. We? we did. You don't share these with me. Um, I apologize. Is that anyway. tequila? Yeah. <laughs> It must have been. You went to Champagne this week, so... <laughs> I'm doing good. That's our real poll, is like the perfect cocktail episode of How I Met Your Mother. we got to figure out the perfect cocktail for podcasting for Emily. It's really livened me up. Anyway, so 
we talked about the work ethic a little bit of how Francona talked about it. The hitting coaches really loved his work ethic too. Mm-mm. Again, it's it's fun to hear these other perspectives from coaches of other sports. Like if a like if Michael Jordan just like went out and worked out with the Bears and getting to hear I don't know who the Bears coach was in the mid nineties, but like hear like, oh yeah, someone like someone said go run go run a flag pattern and MJ wanted to know the exact one, two, three, four, five, six. Like how many take how yeah. many and you know how many steps until he had to make the cut. Like he wanted to get that down right and know how to read a coverage as a wide out. I'm just thinking that because he's six six. So I have a question for you. Okay. Why do you think or do you think they tried? Like I would have liked to see like a perspective from his minor league teammates. Like, did he play with anyone notable? Like, I'm not really sure. But like just any of them to see like if like competitive crazy basketball Michael Jordan like ever came out in double A, like if he was more of like a rookie. Like I was just surprised that they didn't get that perspective considering they I mean, it's pretty, it's 10 episodes, it's very in-depth. Like, I would have liked that perspective, and I didn't know if that's just me wanting, like, all the details, or you think it's valuable, like, where do you land on that? Um, so, it looks like the best player Michael Jordan played with in AA was Steve Sachs, who was at the tail end of his career, his final year in, in both the majors and his last year playing baseball. Um, he played seven games in Birmingham, and uh, wow, Baseball Reference is an age differential. Which Steve Sachs was ten years older than everybody, but that's the that's the best player who was on that team. Um, I'm probably quickly glancing over other names. That's the name that sticks out to me of, of other guys. But even like a nobody, like wouldn't that be interesting to see? Like this guy who's now like a manager of like. I don't know. Or like an accountant who like well, the played in double A. Well, the guy who's a manager of a big team is Terry Francona. No, not like the manager. Yeah. I just mean like a manager of a business or like an accountant or a lawyer. He's a lawyer now, but he played double A with Michael Jordan. I want to know what it was like when oh, Michael sure. Jordan I, I was get what you're saying, yeah. in the clubhouse. Like, um, why is that perspective not in this documentary? on the 94 Birmingham Barons. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of asterisks mm. on baseball reference. But that gets us to Michael Jordan's stats. They talk about how he batted, how he had a... 202 batting average, uh-huh. and then he had 51 RBIs. And Terry Francona says we had a lot of prospects, not a lot of them drove in 51 runs. Maybe he got more at bats. He thinks he could have made it to the majors, which is possible. There's some stuff they left out. Now I kept I kept teasing this. The person whose stats I pulled up was Juan Soto, uh-huh. who won an MVP last year. So I feel like that's a, a somewhat comparative. Very young. Yeah, that was his second year in the majors. That's crazy. And he had an astronomical rise out of Double A two years ago. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who wish he was on his team. <laughs> he is 21 years old currently. Um, now, Michael Jordan in 1994 in Double A played in 127 games. Had 497 plate appearances, 436 at bats. He batted 202. That's 88 what does that hits. Mean? Plate appearances versus at bats. Uh, walks, sacrifices. Only one. Wait, 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 say your question again. Was the differential between those two numbers one, 436, and 437? 497. Oh. Michael Jordan walked 51 times. Oh, I thought it was one. I was like, he only walked once? Yeah, he walked 51 times. He actually had had three sacrifice hits, three sacrifice flies. I misheard. 
Michael Jordan, if they... So MLB The Show does Diamond Dynasty. It's a... Basically, you get cards of players, both current and past, and you build a team around it. Uh, you they have Michael this, Jordan? What I was saying is, if, my, if MLB The Show wanted to have an MJ promotional card, his base aggressiveness, maybe not necessarily the skill, that, that would be fairly high, but the aggressiveness would be off the charts, because he attempted stealing a base 48 times which is very high by today's baseball standards, mm. and stole 30 bases. Wow. He stole 30 bases. So does, do attempts, like, is it like 30 for 48, or is it like 30, 30 for, for 78? No, 30 for 48. It's pretty good. So 30, 30 stolen bases successfully in, in 18 times. Out of 48 times got, attempts. 18 times he got caught stealing. It's not bad. Um, but what's astounding to me is he struck out 114 times. That's a lot for 1994, but... Compared to today. Compared to today. And at first, at first I looked at Bryce Harper and I realized I was setting myself up for failure. So we're not going to say <laughs> Bryce Harper's numbers. Double A in Harrisburg. That, that is correct. So. Um, with, I, I will say my fun fact in a second that I still had scrolled up on Juan Soto's baseball reference page. But Juan Soto in 2019 struck out 132 times. Now, he played in 150 games. He had... Nearly 160 more plate appearances and nearly 145 more at-bats. But still, he had 20... Actually, 23 to the number. Ironic. Uh, 23 less strikeouts in in that. So, proportionally, it's a little higher for MJ. But, like, we're not saying MJ is, like, NL MVP. We're just saying he's, like, maybe he could make it to the majors. Yeah, it's not, it's not terrible yeah. how bad he did. And what's crazy, and it was said on part of my take... Kind of, I think PFT said it, so it might have been a little more jokingly than Big Cat. But Michael Jordan is six six. Mm-hmm. His strike zone is large. Yeah. So I think is I think the fifty one walks is incredibly impressive. Yeah. Because to not hit the strike zone of a six six batter, like think about Aaron Judge and how fucking tall he mm-hmm. is. Like to not be able to throw into the strike zone somewhere that he's going to miss, especially if he can't hit breaking balls for shit. Yeah. It means he adjusted that well. And, like, they talk about his work ethic and everything. And he's obviously, like, like they, it's a lot of NBA fans tuning into a to a 10-part documentary about basketball, not baseball. So they didn't want to bore the non-baseball nerds like me out by talking about all this stuff. But I'm fascinated by it. So I, I wanted to take a minute and, and run through this. Because in one season, it's not... Crazily implausible that Michael Jordan would have worked his butt off to eventually get a quick cup of coffee, maybe even in September call-ups with the White Sox. But there is the strike. Yep. But first, in the documentary, goes the strike. But first, it goes goes fast forward back to '98 playoffs. Yep. So we want to talk about it quick. Um. Which this is like... Yeah, the strike doesn't come in until the second episode. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, the wow. start of, that's the start of episode eight. Alright, so we're going forward to the ninety eight playoffs when we go to the ninety five. Yeah, kinda of the, the jump kinda of gets kinda of crazy here. And like this part of it is my favorite thing to talk about because I find it so fascinating. So we're kind of getting into the like Michael Jordan is a real asshole kind of conversation oh, yeah. that goes I think they kind of like shied not as much in, like, the gambling episodes, but, like, the first four, we didn't really get it, but we're really, like, leaning into it now. And I just think it's so interesting. Um, so, we go back to the 98 playoffs, and it's, like, the game two of that Nets series, and 
they've just, they won the first game. You were right. They did sweep them. Um, but it went into, like, what, triple overtime? Like, it went into triple overtime. It was, like, they should have beat the Nets by, like, 100. Yeah. Um, and everyone's, like, on alert after a bad game. Like, if they're playing well, then Michael's great. But if they're playing bad, then he's, like, scary. Because his theory was, if you can't handle pressure from me, how are you going to handle pressure in the NBA playoffs? Yep. And they talk about how Scott Burrell was, like, his favorite target. Well, they showed Scott Burrell. He's the one that he's that in, I think it's episode two when they're on the private plane. He's like, <laughs> hey, tell, you know, cameraman, he's been out, he's been out chasing after girls. Yeah, he's like, yeah. my parents are going to yeah, watch my this. my parents are going to watch this. Yeah. That's Scott Burrell. Like, and then we got kind of teased with that. And, yeah, I think you're right that we got some more, like, dickhead Michael, mm-hmm. but, like, I feel like we knew this, and what comes later in in the next episode is very infamous of him punching Steve Kerr, and we actually yeah. got a lot into it. I was, I was so excited. I was so excited for it. I was it. like, is this the... I was hoping for footage. I was like, is this the punch? Is it happening? That would have been incredible. But, like, they show that, and it... Everybody who they showed of how big of a dick he was, like, he wasn't... He wasn't saying something that he wasn't afraid to go do or that he already did. Yeah, and that really comes into play, like, at the end of the episode, and we'll talk about it. But he was saying, like, Burrell, like, he would push him, and he was, like, he had skills, but he wasn't competitive enough. He wasn't, didn't have, like, the grit, the determination. He would try and push him, and he was, like, and he never, like, bit back because he was, like, he was just the nicest guy, and he just, like, wouldn't do it, and he, like, tried to bait him. But he also says that, like, he was, teammates were afraid of him, and he was an asshole, and he was this. But then there's all these teammates that are, like, looking back at it. Like, he was a hell of a teammate. Like Exactly. In the time, like, you're, like, getting beaten down by this person. And you're, you know, like, screw him. Like, this is awful. Like, I hate this. But then you're, like, 50, and you look at your, like, 6, 5, 4, 3, whatever championship rings. And you're, like, thank God for that guy because we wouldn't have gotten there without that. Exactly. And it's just... I think, you know, like, hindsight's twenty twenty, all of that stuff. I don't know where it lands in today's NBA. I don't really think it would fly. I think everyone has too big of an ego. Um, but I, I, like, admire it, I guess. I don't know. What what makes me think about it is there was this, this ESPN film from the early 2000s when ESPN was, like, doing a lot of this. And based on true stories and stuff like that, it was called The Junction Boys. Mm-hmm. And the coach is a huge dick. To all of his players. I'm 12 years old watching this my dad. And my dad is... And at the end of the movie, they all re- reunite with the coach. And it's a college team. I think it's Texas A&M. But they all reunite. And they're all thanking the coach for pushing them that hard. And I'm like, Dad, what the, what, what the hell? Like, this guy was a dick. And he's like, well, you know, if without that, like, they wouldn't have got... They wouldn't have banded together. They wouldn't have learned how to work hard. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, 12-year-old me didn't get it. 18-year-old me, when I got done playing high school sports, got it, especially after college and being done with playing, like, serious competitive sports of playing club hockey and, mm-hmm. you know, my very quick s- sip of coffee playing club baseball with Jared <laughs> and Jeff. Um, but, like, you know, learning that and, like, learning how to, you know, address adversity and all that sort of stuff. And if it's not... You hear this all the time, like, college coaches trying to make the jump to the NBA. We talked about Coach Cal. Yeah. Of, like, they can't be a dick to their players. Like, someone, Michael Jordan realized someone had to be, and might as well be him. Like, Phil Jackson is the Zen master, and he's certainly not going to be, even if he wanted to. Or if he realized that's, you know, 
what it would take to get this team to push to the next level. And they kind of show this, not even kind of, they show this montage of everything Michael Jordan went through, everything we've seen in the previous six episodes, specifically the bad boys and the beating he mm-hmm. took. And he knew what it what it needed to be. And granted, he talks about this a lot more when he came back of these guys joined the Bulls after we won the three titles. And it's very, okay, boomer to use today's term, but like an old man yelling at cloud type of thing and be like, yeah. you have won shit. I'm going to show you. And like it's portrayed that way too. But he's got a point. Like you come in and you think you have the prestige of being there. It's like being recruited to Alabama as a freshman, mm-hmm. and you think you're the big man on campus because you got recruited to come to Alabama. You still got to go win something. Yeah. doesn't matter how many rings. It doesn't matter the total number. It matters what you fucking did. Past does not indicate future results. Yeah. But anyway, so they, they, you get that. Now we go back to 1994, and I'm glad they actually spent some time talking about the team without MJ. Yeah, they were good, you know? Scotty really took the team on his back, and he was definitely a different kind of leader than Michael. He was kind of a more supportive, more like, we're going to pass the ball, we're all going to get our shots up, we can, like, do this together kind of, um, kind of leader, and they make the playoffs. You know, Kugoc comes over, finally, he's playing with the Bulls, and they're in the playoffs against the Knicks, the game's on the line to go down 3-0, and the infamous Scotty moment happens. So... Game's on the line. Phil draws the playoff for Kukoc, and he wants Scotty to inbound the ball. And Kukoc is like, I've, I've hit, like... And they showed them in the documentary, like, I hit a bunch of buzzer beaters this year. Like, yeah. I can make this shot. Like, the pressure isn't a thing. And it's, like, four of them. They show him, like, making these, like, crazy buzzer beaters. Yeah. But Scotty takes, like, personal insult to it, and he's like, I'm not going in. Yeah, it, it's interesting that he doesn't go in... Kukoc ends up making it. He did, yeah. And it was the right play. And it was the right play. And he felt kind of betrayed that he took over as the leader and he's the guy inbounding the ball. Mm-hmm. And the team goes in and, and everybody's pretty betrayed by Scotty. Bill Cartwright ends up crying. It's crazy, like, to hear, like, the legitimate, like, hurt in their voices. Like, yeah. even today, talking about it, like, it's like how much this, like, team is like means it's not just like individual things it's a team and they like live for each other almost oh yeah i mean well you still see it today i mean you know not to continue to use the nationals as examples but they rallied around the story of bryce harper leaving to win the world series yeah right like and even if that even if they don't want to admit like it wasn't that like that's the story that's going to be portrayed going forward and and that's how you know our kids and our kids' kids will be like, oh, yeah, in 2019, 18, they lost their best player, and they did that. Like, I'm sure all of them were like, hey, we lost MJ, but we're still us. We still got this shit. And they wanted to figure that out. And, you know, I think seeing Scotty quit on them like that, and maybe that's not the best phrase to use, but that's probably how they took it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, is is too much to handle there. And, you know, they, they end up not... You know, they end up losing and, and you know, go into 94, 95 and, and just bleed into the next episode a little bit. We find out they're not doing very well. But I want to go back to the Scotty thing again just to, like, ask a question. Sure. So they say, you know, and multiple people said, like, they couldn't believe Scotty quit on them. Like, they didn't know, like, what was going on. Jordan had called Phil and been like, Scotty's going to regret this. Like, 
He's, he's never going to live this down. It's always going to be like a stain on his reputation. Everyone's going to bring it up whenever they talk about Scotty as like a great teammate. Like this is going to get brought up like what's he doing? And Scotty in an interview said like he wishes it never happened. But if he had the chance to do it over again, he probably would do it again. And I'm just like, why? Like, why can't you just say that you wish you wouldn't do it like that again? Like, do you think it's like a, oh, everything that I've done made me who I am today kind of thing? It's probably that. Yeah. Like. I I gotta think it's something like that. Like, you have to be able to admit, like, that was a great mistake. Yeah, like, maybe. I learned from this mistake and then, like. In 95, I figured it out, and especially when Mike came back, and then we went on the three-peat. Like, yeah. you, you know, I mean, how people approach mistakes they've made in the past, I think, is a level of psychology neither you nor I, especially me, are able to discuss about. Yeah. Um, okay, that makes sense. I but, just... yeah, that's probably, that's, if I had to guess, that's probably where he's coming from, of, you know what, like, hey, it sucks I made this mistake, but also... Look at the next four years, and should I really be complaining about one thing I did one night? And, like, I think it's water under the bridge now again. Look at 96, 97, and 98. But you think it's water under the bridge now, but, like, when that part happened in the documentary, like, you can still see that oh, yeah, they're hurt a, by it. It's upset, like, yeah. Today they are still upset by that, like, having their, like, brother turn his back on them. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not, like, if you relive the memory that yeah. it's not going to be painful, but I think, like... They're also not going to be... They're not going to not invite Scottie Pippen to the team reunion. Right, 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 <laughs> um, I had to throw that in there. But so, we go back to 98. We see the Bulls sweep the Nets. And now they're facing the Hornets. Mm-hmm. The old Hornets. I guess technically still the Hornets. For those that don't understand that reference. The Hornets moved to New Orleans, became the Pelicans. Or eventually became the Pelicans when the Bobcats... The Bobcats then came in, changed their name back to the Hornets, and took all the old history. This is what will happen whenever Seattle gets a NBA team. They have a basketball team, we learned. Um, look up on Twitter if you don't understand that reference. But anyway. Storm. They're called the Storm. Yes, the Seattle Storm. Uh, but we get some Bill, BJ Armstrong. I'm going to say Billy Armstrong. Wait, we had to talk about the end of Episode 7. Yeah, this is the end of Episode 7. Yeah, but we don't get into, like, the playoffs of Charlotte until episode 8. Okay, but B.J. Armstrong played for the Hornets. Yeah, but at, in 7, he was still with the... Okay, okay, that's fine. Well, you had it on the show notes of his quote. Yes. All right, but you do you want to this read the quote? This is when he was still with the Bulls, he said this. Okay. Kind of thing. I just think that the end of episode 7 is very powerful. Yeah, and I want you to read the quote. I'm just reading off the show notes. Okay. So... But read the quote. There's a long Michael Jordan quote at the end of episode 7. He gets very emotional, and I think there's a lot to unpack, so I took time to transcribe it, and now I'm going to read it. And I appreciate you transcribing <laughs> it. Thank you. So the interviewer asks, through the years, do you think that intensity that you have, like, has come at the expense of being perceived as a nice guy? Because, like Jordy said, BJ Armstrong comes in and says, like, with that mentality, he couldn't be a nice guy. Like, it would be, it's difficult to be around him if you don't love the game of basketball. Like, he is difficult. And Jordan says, I don't know. I mean, winning has a price and leadership has a price. So I pulled people along when they didn't want to be pulled. I challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged. And I earned that right because my teammates came after me. They didn't do all the things that I endured. Once you join the team, you live at a certain standard that I play the game and I wasn't going to take any less. Now, if that means that I had to go in there and get in your ass a little bit, then I did that. 
You ask all my teammates. One thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't fucking do. When people see this, they're going to say he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Well, that's you because you never won anything. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. Like, I don't have to do this. I'm only doing it because it is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. So, like, my question... Fade. So, like... And he's, like, emotional. And then he's, like, okay, I need a break. He's, like, break. Yeah, yeah, Like, it's just crazy. I'm, like, why is he emotional? Like, is it his, like, love of competition? Is it his teammates? Like, is it winning that he loves the most? Like, I still don't really know. I'd be very interested in seeing the actual order of all the different interviews that they did with him. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is towards the end. Yeah. Like, granted, this is episode seven, but, like, that doesn't mean that the different parts very clearly have been shown... Like, the different times they've interviewed him. Sometimes it's at night. Sometimes it's during the day. How much scotch is in his glass. How big is the cigar. Yeah. I'm being somewhat sarcastic. But, no. but like, I would be very interested in seeing, is this towards the end when, like, just like it's been shown that the first time he retired and is heavily implied, and I'm sure we'll see it in episode 10, by the second time he retired, and there's a very good, the start of a, of Friday's Bill Simmons podcast, he reads this article he wrote for The Ringer in 2018 when LeBron was a free agent and really implies how, how exhausted MJ was in 98. Like, is this is this in that same level of, like, this is something he poured his heart into? And, like, not to say, like, Jordan wants to be super competitive to win an Oscar. Yeah. But he doesn't want this to suck. Yeah. I get, it- like, he has his final say, but I'm sure he poured his heart and soul into, in his mind, portraying the most fair image of Michael Jordan. And it's also not easy to, like, relive all of these things, to relive your your father being murdered, to relive these losses, to relive these injuries. It's a really good point, too. How these, close like, hard that. times that, like, you gone through. And I think the thing that really struck me in this quote the most, I've seen it on Twitter, and a lot of people, like, really clutch on, like, the... That's you, you've never won anything and, like, whatever. But the thing that I really, watching it back and, like, watching the clips that they play is, like, they, I earned the right to do this because my teammates came after me, which sounds kind of cocky, but then he says, like, they didn't do all the things that I endured. And you watch him get beaten down and doing all this. And, like, he is a shield to every one of his teammates because he is the focus of every competitor, which lets everyone around him shine where, like, all of the media attention, all of the defensive attention, all of the coaches' schematics are all focused on him. And that's, like, a lot to bear. Oh, yeah. It really is. Oh, yeah. A thousand percent. And I think, like, even before the championships, in the build-up, and, like, obviously, we talk about the bad boys beating, literally beating him out of the playoffs. And, like, just to even go through his whole career of that he was this crowned prince of basketball and he got iced out in the all-star game and i think that's the mentality that got very quickly put onto him of Mm -hmm. you need to earn your stripes and go that and go through this way and to like not challenge his teammates the same way he got challenged i think would not have sat well in his brain to just say hey steve kerr hey winnington hey this guy you know Hey, Burrell, like, yeah. 
we're gonna, you know, you're y'all honky dory because you just joined a five time world champion. Like, no, I want to make sure that you're ready for this. I want to make sure that if I need to turn to you because I'm getting triple teamed and you're wide open for a long range two, that you're gonna drain this fucking thing and you're not gonna let the st- the light shine too bright in your face. Yeah. Like, I want to give you as much shit as possible, and that's saying. Shit that your parents aren't going to appreciate seeing whenever this gets played back, which ended up being 22 years later, that, you know what, deal with it. Because we're going to fucking win this thing. And like he says to Winnington, or uh, grab onto the cape and don't let yeah. go. Yeah, I just, I think that that quote and, like, that end of the episode, I mean, I don't know what happens in the last two, but I kind of just feel like that's, like, the enduring, like, moment so far of the documentary. I think so, and and a lot of these guys have, they've shown throughout the series, have been on the team sporadically Mm -hmm. throughout the the eight-year run, 91 to 98, and they all speak with him with the same regard. Horace Grant was on the first three teams and still speaks with him as if he had all six rings with MJ. Yeah. Like, that's what I think is such an, is such an enduring point and the lasting point of this. I realize that's the same thing, but still. I know. Episode I, eight, though. It's hard. I want to get into, like, the LeBron debate, but I'm, it's not the time. No, it's not. And, and I thought about <laughs> making that point, too, of, like, LeBron immediately being called King James LeBron would never. Well, like, and I think that's part of the the sad part of the story with Kobe mm-hmm. is that, you know, there's the we never got Kobe LeBron in the finals and we never got MJ LeBron. Yeah. Or MJ yeah, Kobe. Kobe. Um, but, you know, I mean, it would have it been pretty hard to considering, how, A, how good that Utah Jazz team was and then the incredible year in 99 the Spurs have. Mm-hmm. And Jordan's out of league then. But, like, I just look. I looked at the bracket of '98, and the Lakers steamroll into the Western Conference Finals, and then get steamrolled by the Jazz, and because of how good Stockton Malone are yeah. on that team, they're just not getting stopped there. It would just be a crazy like legacy if there was like that final final was like Le- Le- MJ Kobe. That would be crazy. It'd be crazy, and and I veered it back to Jordan, but like because I don't think there was really. Like, the Western Conference was so good in the mid to late 2000s, and the East stunk. Yeah. And really, up until, like, what do you want to say, three years ago, the East... The Bucks. Yeah, the East still stunk. Yeah. Like, you know, the Heat teams were good, those Cavs teams were good, but, like, who really challenged them until 2018? Yeah. When the Sixers had their come up, or their first come up. And the Bucks. And... The Celtics were really good, and, and the Bucks started to become really good. Yeah. Uh... You know, the Eastern Conference wasn't really that good, and I think that's the biggest knock, if you want to give it to LeBron, and it's really if you're a LeBron hater or not, that that he didn't have a Bad Boys Pistons team to run through who didn't previously have the Celtics to run through. And I'm sure you can maybe say that about the other side, and granted those Laker teams of the 80s are not to be trifled with either. They're incredible teams, and... You know, this is, I think, turns into a greater NBA conversation of how well has talent spread across the National Basketball Association. Yeah. But nevertheless, let's jump episode into episode eight. eight. Yeah. We go into into round two, like I started to bleed into, with facing the Hornets. B.J. Armstrong has a great game two. And in game three, Michael Jordan 
basically just says fuck you pay back some other fucker yeah because Armstrong's like he hits like the game winning shot he's like gloating like black and eyes with MJ and yeah because he was with the team previously yeah, right and as we come to learn and I think everyone it's like a very common knowledge that like Jordan it doesn't take a lot for him to like get a chip on his shoulder when we learn and that he very will quickly. like invent chips on his shoulder. What I thought was really interesting is B.J. Armstrong references, and this is right at the top of the show, that he was with the Bulls, so he had the playbook. Mm -hmm. And later on, really, really later on, when we get into the Space Jam stuff, that they talk about how MJ played with all these guys, so he developed the playbook of how to beat them all. I thought that was a really interesting parallel to the two parts of it. Definitely. Um, But so, as you mentioned... They go really quickly into all these different times that Michael Jordan... And this story is so funny. He creates chips to put on his shoulders. So, and, do you want me to tell it? Yeah, you tell the story. Okay, so the Bulls are playing the Washington Bullets at the time in um, in Chicago, and the Bradford Smith has, like, a night. Like, everyone is, like, guaranteed, not guaranteed, but, like, lots of players, no matter who you are, like, have your night. Like, Norvell Pell has, like, five blocks. Like, you know, TJ McConnell's a game winner. Like, everyone has a night that's, like, the sun is shining on them, whatever. So, the Bradford Smith has this night against the Bulls. He has, like, 37 points. Like, Jordan can't hit anything. Like, the bull- the Bullets win. And... After the game, Jordan tells people, like, he put his arm around me and was like, hey, nice game, Mike. So they're doing a back-to-back, like, a home-and-home. Home. So the the Bulls are going to the Bullets the next night, and MJ's, like, pissed. He's like, I'm, I'm going to have what he had in the game in the first half. Like, watch me do this. Like, screw that kid. So he, he is 36 in the first half, and he's just, like, killing this kid, like, all over him. Like, just taking him to the hoop, like, every time, doing all this stuff. So it comes. There's like decades later. So we're talking like I don't know, two early two thousand. I think they said like two thousand six or something. Yeah, yeah. Rumors starts <laughs> swirling that like this never happened. Like he never put his arm around him and said like nice game, Mike. So the reporters like ask him like, hey, Michael, did this ever happen? I don't know if this was when he was playing for the Wizards. So like that's how they had access to him. I'm not really sure. But he was like. He admits, like, it never happened. Like, I made it up so that I could, like, get up for this game <laughs> and, like, go after this, like, poor child. Yeah. So, and he, you know, he did it. You know the funniest thing about LeBradford Smith? What? Do you know when his last year in the NBA was? No. Probably like last year. No, 1994. Oh. He played with the Bullets through 1993. They had a season with the with the Kings, 93-94. Um, and then played for a number of different teams that all seem to have inspired the Oklahoma City Thunder's name. The Rapid, the Rapid City Thrillers, the Quad City Thunder, and they went over to Europe. Mm-hmm. And then he was at the Baltimore Bay Runners, who were in the International Basketball League mm. in the late 90s, early 2000s. There you go. Um, yeah, that's uh, LeBradford Smith yeah. for you. But then there's also... I mean, there's all there's a ton of these different stories of guys who, you know, they have this moment, and yeah. they might have said something. I mean, even going back to Magic Johnson in the Dream Team practice yeah. of saying, you know, 
Hey, where's where's his airness? Where's MJ coming from? Or like from? the one that we talked about where he was like playing cards before the finals with with M- with Magic. Yeah. And was like, you just wait, like watch. Yeah, I can only imagine. Like now, having known this, I did not know the little Bradford Smith story Which is the coming funniest. to last night. <laughs> but knowing the, we talked about in episode one or mm-hmm. the, the episodes one and two, and we talked about it last week, obviously, because that's when that finals was covered. But the Portland Trailblazers GM outright said, we don't need Michael Jordan because we have Clyde Drexler. Who the fuck cares if someone said before that finals in the early 90s that comparing Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler, Michael Jordan probably knew exactly who the GM said that quote to and like probably wrote that reporter a letter to saying, thanks for running that or something like that. He That's how like makes things up to get like up. Yeah. Like he, this is a real thing. Like if he can get up for a made up story in his head, yeah. How much does a real story that was like a real slight against his talent and skill? Yes. Get him up. Yes, exactly. And it even comes up at the end of the of the episode when he's going against the the Supersonics. Like he sees George Carl in who's the coach of the Supersonics at the time in. In a restaurant, and he doesn't look his way, and he was like, "Done, yeah. you're out, you're done, you're. I will kill you." Basically, yeah. he's a psycho, but like in the best way. In the best way, but I so don't, it, let's it not jumps get back yes. to 1995, and what is one of the better questions of who won the 1994 World Series? No one, mm-hmm. because there was a lockout. Still continued in '95. And there's talk about replacement players. And they act, the White Sox actually approach MJ to be one. He won't cross the picket line. So were they still, like, practicing? Like, that he was still, so like, the, in was, the org? Or how was it working? So I'm going to look this up as I'm saying this, but I believe it was hopeful that the 1995 season would start on time. Mm-hmm. And I believe it started late. Uh, so I think they went to spring training and wanted to do that. Yeah, it was a shortened season. It was only 144 games. Do you think without the lockout, Jordan would have stayed with baseball and he wouldn't have come back? It's a really interesting question. I don't know. I mean, no. no. But <laughs> it would be really intriguing to say. Because it seems like during the lockout, he like started to go to practices with the Bulls and he like kind of got the bug back. But if he was still playing baseball, he wouldn't have done that. So like maybe the bug wouldn't have like bitten him. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And who knows? No one. But... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know how he... I want to look up how he... Like, I want to look up his, like, spring training stats, if there were any. Yeah, I don't know. Because the season didn't start until April 25th, where, get this, is a headline opening game. The Marlins at the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. But what was the date of the game against the Pacers when he came back? It was in March. They talked about this on Pardon My Take, that it was the Sunday of, of the first weekend of March Madness. Okay. And that it caused so much trouble with CBS and their March Madness coverage <laughs> that they had to pay back advertisers. Oh, wow. Yeah, because Michael Jordan the Pacers completely game. cucked yeah. all March Madness coverage. That's wild. Um, it's, yeah, it's completely crazy. So it's like, like I, I think it's partly that that he was like, I think he was he was getting ready to want to come back, and I think they'd probably talk to him a little bit about all mm-hmm. of this. Uh, I, th- I think it's a little bit of both. Um, but I, I feel like he... 
I feel like he might have thought like, hey, I, if they're still doing this well without me, maybe I can, maybe I can help, and maybe I can and get after this. One thing that gets talked about, and that Bill Simmons does say in that in the article that he reread mm. on the podcast last week, is that Michael Jordan really thought the NBA overexpanded. And now, granted, Bill Simmons has frequently talked about in his redraftables segments he's done on his podcast, which basically is he and a guest, usually Ryan Rosillo, Chris Ryan, or or both of them, or one of the one or the other, um, they redraft. A draft starting in the first one I think they've done is 1996. Mm-hmm. The Kobe AI, a lot of different guys, Steve Nash, Ray Allen, it's, a lot of different. It's a guys. big draft. It's a big draft. Um, but he frequently talks about how the NBA overexpanded in the 90s, and maybe there's a point to that. We talked about a little bit ago of where NBA talent is now, where and fast forwarding to 2013 and Sam Hinkie's theory with the Sixers and doing everything with the process there of figuring out how to find the, you know, there's only X number of superstars and in a Y size league, you need to figure out how to get one. Have the most chances. Yeah. To have the most chances to do it and, and all that stuff. But maybe Michael Jordan realized that and that's why he decides to come back and it took him a little bit of time to be away from it and I'm sure there's part of it that he's sitting around twiddling his thumbs in the winter of 1994. I think it was just like he had nowhere to channel his competitive energy with the lockout. Like he's just not the type of guy to like cross the picket lines. And so he needed somewhere to channel his competitive energy and he didn't have a place. Like he wasn't in the point, the place where he could like buy a team like he did after his second retirement. Like he needed somewhere to channel all of it. And so when he, you know, called. BJ Armstrong was like, hey, what are you doing? And he's about to go to practice. Like, why don't you come? That was, like, opening, like, the tunnel of, like, love or whatever you want to call it. I'm just looking at the I know you're smart NBA draft. It's so good. I know. Okay. It's AI, Marcus Camby, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, Stefan Marbury, Ray Allen, Antoine Walker are the first six. And then featured in... Episode 7, Kerry Kittles, hmm. pick number 8 to the Nets. Uh, Lorenzen Wright as one of many Los Angeles Clippers picks to just basically burned instantaneously. Kobe Bryant goes 13. Steve Nash goes 15. Jermaine O'Neal goes 17. Um, Iskousis goes to the Cavs, and he stayed with the Cavs for a very long time, uh, at 20th. Someone named Roy Rogers went to, the, <laughs> went to the the Grizzlies. A staple of PA Turnpike rest stops. Derek Fisher is in this draft. He went 24th to the Lakers. So a lot of big names in there. Although Derek Fisher apparently never made an all-star team. That's wild. Which is, I, I mean, he's a big part of those late 2000s Lakers teams. He got um, to date Laura Lenny, though, so it's like a thing. Yeah, that is a thing. But anyway, back, back to... Yes. Our talk. MJ's practicing, and there's, like, rumors. There are rumblings. Like, is he coming back? Like, is he just hanging around the Bulls? What's he doing? And he tells his, his, I guess, publicist, like, I'm coming back. Like, I'm ready. And so his publicist drafts a whole bunch of, like, draft releases, and he's like, these are not good. I don't want these. And he's like, okay, fine, you write it. What's he write, Jordy? I'm back. Period. Period. It's incredible. Send. That first game back against the Pacers, March 18th, 1995. Mm -hmm. 
First game without his dad. He decided to wear 45. Which is like his high school number? His childhood number? I think it was childhood number. Um, but he didn't... He wanted his dad to see his last basketball game. He was happy with that, as we mentioned. And he wanted it to be 23. Uh, that was a lot... You know, that's what he, he wanted that to, to be it. And, you know, it's... That's I mean, without having to jump into father-son relationships. But it, I mean, I can really get that of mm-hmm. stuff that means a lot to you and to your family and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he, he kind of struggles the first couple games. And then we get to the fifth game back. The double nickel game. Against the Knicks in the garden. And it's incredible. I mean, just bang, 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 55 points. And Patrick Ewing is like, they show him again. He's, I don't think he's been in since like episode one. He's like, man, he's like so dejected. He's like, I had a really good game that night and no one notices because Michael just had like a little bit of a better game. Yeah. It's just incredible. I mean, it's awesome. The Bulls won six titles. Again, it's, it's kind of wild of how good those Knicks teams are and that they, aside from Patrick Ewing, get kind of thrown under the rug. Of, yeah. Forgetting where they are, because even in '98, they they're the seven seed. They win the first round over a Heat team that was the the uh, other division winner. Which Emily, would you believe me that it was still East West in nineteen in or no, um, it was East West Conference. It was Atlantic and Central, and the Miami Heat were in the Atlantic Division. But aren't they still? They're not. They're in the Southeast Division because there's three divisions now. Hmm. Um, but they were in our division. No, they're not. When the Sixers beat the Heat as a three seed in 2018, the Miami Heat won the Southeast Division, but because I think it was that year the NBA changed their rules that division winners no longer get a top four seed. What is it? Sixers, Celtics, Brooklyn? What? in in Currently. Sixers are the sixth seed currently, right? No, I mean like in the division. Oh, the it's, it's Knicks, Sixers, Celtics, Brooklyn, and Toronto. Mm, fuck Toronto, dude. Yeah, I know you're not happy with them. Uh, as <laughs> I will never. We've now referenced two weeks of the Toronto Raptors. Be okay and Emily's with disdain it. of them. God. But, <clears throat> the, the Bulls make the playoffs in 1995, which... They were like when Jordan came, they were like barely over 500. Yeah, they are barely over 500. And he's, like, claw- he's like the... Well, before this year, like, the J.J. Redick, like, always making the playoffs, like, but now J.J. Redick is on the Pelicans and they suck. Yeah, so, what, <laughs> so, you threw me off for a second there. But yeah, so 95, the Bulls make the playoffs. They end up beating the, the Hornets in four games here, uh, and they move on to the next round. They face the Orlando Magic, who now have Horace Grant, they have Shaq. They have Penny Hardaway, and that team is really fucking good, mm-hmm. just to flat out say it. Um, and Orlando ends up taking care of business. They have a big man is basically what it's thrown out to be. We talked about it with Rodman, both in the doc and his episode. That's and a big reason why they bring him in. Pre-Rodman. Yeah, this is this is the reason why they bring yeah. him in. It's because they got completely outmanned. By Horace Grant. By Horace Grant, <laughs> yeah. And... They kind of throw throw back the B.J. Armstrong, I knew how to beat him thing. They didn't outright say it, and Horace Grant didn't outright say it. Yeah. But it's basically implied that, that he knew how to beat him. He was bigger than all of them. You know, they had, I mean, 
ironically, they have this smaller team that Steve Kerr would later go on to revolutionize the NBA with, Mm -hmm. but they have that and Michael Jordan, who is an incredible defensive player, can shoot the lights out. Tony Kukoc, who was shown, can shoot the lights out, not a great defender. Scottie Pippen, who's a great defender and a great handler of the ball. Steve Kerr can shoot it well. You know, and they have big guys that can rebound well, too. It's very, I mean, I'd have to look a lot closer, but it's, I'm starting to put the pieces together of some of those earlier Warriors teams with Bogut and guys that are just kind of, just big trees there to <laughs> grab the ball. Um, but that, all that being said, they end up getting knocked out. And another great Grover quote is they're sitting there. And he says, "All right, Mike, I'll see, you know I'll see you." And Mike goes, "No, I'll see you tomorrow." Yeah. And Michael Jordan was he was not happy with how this went, and they were ready to he was ready to go right back to it. And it's he, a, another great MJ quote. Yeah, he says like if I if you're gonna give me three hours of your day to like sit in front of the television and watch me do like it's my obligation to give you my best yes. and to like do my best. So. He was like, this is not good enough. This is not my best. But un- not unfortunately, but he was obligated to, like, film Space Jam over the summer. A great American movie and a great website. Yeah, that, yeah, you're right. Is that website still functioning <laughs> yes. if you go to it? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the movie is filmed in the summer of 1995. And it's really funny to, to look at Space Jam and who all is there and... You know, obviously there's the guys who get their talents stolen in Space Jam. And what we're getting after is, they talk about the Jordan Dome. They show Joe Pitka. Am I pronouncing his last name, you think? Mm, Correctly. Pitka. Pitka. Oh, it is. Emily's showing them either. Spacejam.com. Spacejam.com. Still. I mean, incredible HTML skills and CSS skills for 1995. Yeah. But as someone who has recently learned that... But what's crazy about it all is the Jordan Dome, the show Pitka, who, if you told me, and there's a lot of good, like, these guys, like, someone's guy, mm-hmm. and they have, like, Phil's biographer in episode seven, we, for, we forgot to mention this, who talks about how 94 was his best coaching. If you told me that's Phil's biographer, but you're fucking right it is. Yeah. This guy, he, he made Space Jam, a movie where Michael Jordan... And Bugs Bunny are playing against aliens who've stolen the powers by having Charles Barkley touch a glowing basketball. This guy looks like he smokes a lot of weed. And I'm buying it. I'm buying this guy made that movie. <laughs> and then he was like, hey, my buddy Bill Murray, come yeah, in. Yeah, Bill, Mur- Bill Murray's there. Larry Bird's in the movie. He doesn't get his... He doesn't We're getting a lot of Space Jam stuff. We're getting a lot of Space Jam stuff. Um, how does Eric Gordon not have a Wikipedia page? who I knew played Marcus Jordan. Um, Anyways. Eric, Eric Gordon was a very good college basketball player like 10 years ago. Uh, no, I was in high school when he was a good college basketball player. But anyway, so the, the guys who get their talents stolen are Barkley, Sean Bradley, who was playing for the Sixers at the time, Ewing, Larry Johnson, and Muggsy Bogues. Bogues. I almost said Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> I know. It sounded like a very like, different profession that he might have been I was in. just going to let it happen and see like where the last oh, consonants went. Billy West voices Bugs Bunny in Space Jam. I don't know who Billy West Billy West voices, among other characters, the Red M&M mm. and Fry from Futurama. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 
But so these five guys, and they're shown frequently. Both Muggsy Bogues gets a lot of gets a lot of airtime. Yeah. Both on the Hornets. You were very excited to see him. I was very excited. Mug, Muggsy Bogues is an anomaly. Bones. You're gonna screw me up again. <laughs> Muggsy Bogues is an anomaly, and it's incredible. Oh, an anomaly. There you go. An enemy. Some Finding Nemo for you, but. To show all these guys, we're getting off the point, the games that they had in the Jordan Dome. He basically is calling everybody out there to yeah. come play basketball with them. It's like a mini Drew League. It was like they, you know, they called their own fouls or no refs. Like Jordan scouting them, like seeing what they'll do. And Reggie Miller is like, these were some of the best games. Like they were just like. I just think that guys, like, thrive on that competitiveness, and they just love it. It was kind of like the the Barcelona practices. It was like that on another scale. So I want to know, how well was HBO doing in its inception that Warner Brothers was like, fuck it. Yeah, we'll give Michael Jordan his own basketball court in the in the backyard here. I know. Well, they go do anything. But I was saying to you, like, could you imagine, like, being a PA or, like, a college intern working on Space Jam and just being able to, like, go sit in the Jordan Dome and watch these practices? You're probably, like, holding a lot of cash if you're a PA on that movie. <laughs> I thought it was going to land a lot better with you, but all right. <laughs> Why uh, are you holding cash? Because of gambling. Oh, you're gambling. Okay. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so they show they show a decent amount of Space Jam and everything there, and we get back into the 95-96 season, and Steve Kerr's been on the team for a few years, but we get finally get the practice. Yes, I was waiting for it. So... Here's the story. You ready for it? Oh, yeah. So, Jordan comes back, and he had, they just lost to the Magic. He's, like, got a, got a fire under his ass, and, you know, Jordan is, like, known to be a little, like, aggressive at practice. So, Phil Jackson's, like, calling these, like, ticky-tack fouls on Jordan, and he's getting really pissed off. And so, he fouls Steve Kerr and says, now that's a fucking foul, which is just, like, something that... I could hear in my dad's voice because when we regularly watch the Sixers, he'll text me and be like, if you're going to foul him, you better foul him. Like, make him know it's a foul. My dad is, like, very much from the school of, like, 90s basketball. Mm-hmm. So he's very into, like, hard fouls where you know that they're a foul, not, like, ticky-tack, like, slap on the wrist fouls. Mm. But I thought it was so funny. Steve Carr was like, I'm really competitive, too. I'm not usually good enough to back it up. But I'm very competitive. And so Steve Kerr pushes Jordan in the chest. And Jordan just hauls off and punches him in the eye. And this is like the punch that everyone knew has happened. I really wish there was footage. I don't know if we've ever really gotten the story from like both sides at the same time. But Phil throws him out of practice. And he's like in the showers and feeling really shitty. And is like, oh, I like beat up the littlest guy on the team. Like, I'm this is not great. And so he, like, calls the center to get Steve Kerr's number because he doesn't even have Steve Kerr's number and, like, apologizes for it. And basically, like, everything's kosher after that. Like, their their bond has grown. Like, Jordan respects Steve Kerr because he stood up for himself. Like, he's not really pushing him around anymore. So, like, everything's great. But it's just, like, a very... Because of Steve Kerr's 
like position in basketball now. It's just like an infamous story that was exciting to hear told by both parties. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And I mean, we've obviously known the story that he punched him. And yeah, the fact that it just was water under the bridge that quickly. I don't know how quickly MJ just kind of put it under Steve Kerr, like we were talking about. Uh, if you're going to be on the team, this is what we got to do. And, and Steve Kerr kind of got that. Maybe mm-hmm. he does because he then very quickly says, This is the greatest team I've ever been a part of. Um, and I mean, before the Warriors, it was the greatest team in NBA history. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, this sets the record. 72 and 10. Don't mean a thing without the ring. They Which, end up. I saw a tweet from Ahmad Rashad. He, like, found his shirt that was, like, 72 and 10. Don't mean a thing without a ring. And he's, like, wearing it on Twitter. Like, That's he incredible. found his shirt from, like, the merch. Which I think is just funny. That's incredible. Yeah, so. Very quickly get through the Heat, get through the get through the Knicks. They get a rematch with the Magic. They end up sweeping them, and Dennis Rodman, who makes his triumphant return to the series, mm-hmm. ends up just rebounding and just completely stopping this team. Because as we talked about, like that's what they were missing. They were Horace went to the Magic, so they didn't have that like physical rebounder, and in the series the previous year and so they got Rodman who as we talked about in the Rodman doc and everything is like a fantastic rebounder and like a fantastic defensive player so they had brought that in and it was like they were no match for them absolutely so then we get to the finals against the Supersonics you mentioned a little bit George Carl Mm -hmm. the coach of the team was viewed as the greatest mismatch in NBA history George Carl saw MJ at dinner, ignored him. MJ propels the team to a 3-0 lead. And it becomes a foregone conclusion they're going to finally win their next title. But it took them a little bit. Mm -hmm. They end up losing game four. Gary Payton famously tells George Carl basically where where to put his defensive game plan. And defends Michael Jordan. And... Tries to get him tired, talks all this shit, and claims he got to him. Michael Jordan says, no, I didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. It's so funny. So they, in the documentary, they play on the iPad the footage of Gary Payton saying, like, oh, yeah, like, I got to him. Like, I tired him out, all this stuff. And Jordan is hysterically laughing at this. Like, he cannot stop laughing at this. What makes them showing Michael Jordan It's my favorite thing. What makes them showing him other people's interviews, it just looks so meta and mm-hmm. so, like, what a scripted, like, a mockumentary scripted show would do of, like, hey, the greatest basketball player of all time is making his own documentary and is so conceited that he needs to look over everything on camera and live react to it. Or, like, something that fucking the Paul brothers would do on YouTube. Like... It's just so funny to see him do that, and it's so crazy how, and we talked about this last week with Isaiah Thomas, how competitive that he is to this day mm-hmm. with these guys. That was 22 years ago. And he's like, no. I didn't, he, or no, I guess 24 years ago, 1986. Like, I um, was not worried about it. I had other things on my mind. Like, uh, It's completely insane. I love it. But so, they lose game four. Sonics end up winning game five. It's still 2-3-2, two, two, so the last two games are in Seattle. And they go back 
to mm. Chicago. It's Father's Day. On Father's Day. And they end up winning. Mm-hmm. And it means so much to him. You know, we talked about it. The last championship, his dad was there. His dad ends up getting murdered at the top of the of the top of the two hours and it just meant a ton to him and that his dad couldn't be there and you know, he is in tears and there's obviously the famous picture of his first title of his dad right next to him and him in tears holding the, the Larry O'Brien trophy. And this one, you can just tell, meant exponentially more to him. And we've all seen those photos of Jordan, like, on the training room floor, like, in tears or seen can, the video. But, like, I don't know if we've ever seen them with, like, the audio and, like, the audio, the sobbing. Can, yeah, you can hear the weeping pretty, pretty heavily. And I don't know that we've ever seen that before. Yeah. So it was, like, very moving. And I was like, why aren't these people leaving? Like, this is a very private moment. Like, why are they taking pictures? Like, this is not okay. But... I mean, they're out there, it is, there's footage, it's whatever. And he signed off on it, so it is. But it seemed like a very personal moment, and... So, we then get a quick tease of the conference finals in 1998. And, to be honest, I didn't realize the two hours were over. Yeah. The way they introduced it. And it's the first real time they've they've seriously teased what's happening next. Because even last week... They talk about them winning in 1993, and obviously we know where it's going, that he's going to retire. But Reggie Miller comes out swinging, that they're playing the Pacers. He's like, we're the better team. Yeah. He's like, I knew they were like, there was all this like storyline behind Michael, but I always thought we were the better team, and it was in my mind that like Jordan's retiring, and I'm going to retire Michael Jordan. Which is kind of crazy to think about, because where would you have thought the... Pacers were seated coming out of the regular season if they thought they were the better team. I mean, like, two? So they were in the same division as the Bulls. So they were, like, five? No, they were the three. There was only two divisions. Oh. In the East. They were three. They were the three seed. Okay. They were the five seed that would have played them in the second round. Fair. That being said, they were 58-24 and 24 to the Bulls' 62-20. and 20. Mm-hmm. But so, coming in next week, we obviously are going to get the Eastern Conference Finals. That's probably going to be Episode 9. The Finals are going to be Episode 10. I'd imagine the fallout We also have that middle championship in there somewhere. Yeah, I think the Conference Finals and the 97 Finals, 97 season probably, are going to be Episode 9. Yeah. And then probably the entire, like, we've already seen most of the 98 season, so I don't know if they cover the Finals and the fallout and the future of... Jordan played with the Wizards. Or they Jordan don't even buying, hit it. buying the Bobcats. They might not even hit it. They might just end the '98 Finals. It's going to be really interesting to see because they. You're right that there isn't a lot they've shown of Michael Jordan's future. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like you'd be doing a disservice to not talk about him playing with the Wizards. Would you be upset if they didn't? No. Okay. Why? I just think it's about the last dance. It's about that last season. Like, that's the end of the story in this situation. But why then did they show the rest of Michael because Jordan's career? Anything before... And not just do the the entire season over however many hours they want to do, not ten episodes. Anything before something all factors into it. Anything after doesn't factor into it. So, you think they should just end it right at the finals? Yeah. You don't think they should show the fallout of Phil leaving, 
and Michael Jordan ultimately retiring. Because he doesn't retire until January of 1999. I don't know. I'm undecided on that one. But I don't think that the Wizards in the post career is necessary. In I think situation. showing him buying the Bobcats would, or a part, you know, the partial ownership at the time of the Bobcats would be really interesting and like trying to get that competitive itch and being a part of the NBA. Because I do think it's really interesting that there are some of respective sports all-time greats who, I don't know if it's they feel this competitive itch or they feel a need to pay it back to the sport of MJ owning the Bobcats, Mario Lemieux owning part of the Penguins, Derek Jeter buying part of the Marlins, Nolan Ryan at one point owning owning part of the of the the Rangers. I think he might still. Um, I'm gonna look that up, but you know what I mean. Like I think it's. I think it's part of it, but I just think I, I think it's really interesting to hear like the rationale of that, and I'd love to hear him talk about that. I agree, but I the whole like Wizards thing. I just think it's a disservice to the story and his career and all this stuff that he's gone through and the championships to then be like, oh, and by the way, then he tried to come back again with the Wizards and he sucked. Like, that's like a, not a good ending. Yeah, that's fair. And, and... And I honestly, I don't know that he... Does you think he regrets that? Like, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to find I'd out. I'd love to hear that. That's my, that's my thought. But, like, I just think it's kind of like a... Ending to, like, this, like, competitive, like, super competitive, like maniacal person to be like and then I came back because I still miss basketball and I thought I could do it and I couldn't and blah 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 but that'd be, that would be incredibly fun to hear I think yeah but it's just like the story arc is not there for me so Nolan Ryan was president and CEO of the Rangers from 2008-2013 he was a special assistant to the Astros from 2014-2019 and he was demoted shortly after the 2019 World Series. The Rangers? Of the Astros. Oh, the Texas Rangers. Um, or his son, rather, was hired as president of business operations. And and his son, Reed Ryan, was demoted after the 2019 World Series. Mm. Um, and after he was demoted, Nolan Ryan sent via text message that he would not return for the 2020 season which is waiting to get underway wanted to follow up with that because I, I knew he had something to do with the, the ownership of teams but I do think that like again I think that's a really intriguing it'd be really intriguing to hear him talk about why he wanted to do it Magic Johnson's involvement with the Dodgers as well as his, his special relationship with the Lakers post retiring like I'd love to hear like someone talk about it and maybe that's a way that they bring back Magic Johnson towards the end of it of talking about MJ's legacy and then being like yeah you know I got involved with a, with a group to buy the Dodgers and I get where he why he wanted to get involved with it and have done this stuff with the Lakers and yada 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 but yeah I think it's interesting and I'm not saying I don't want to know about it I just don't know that it if it tells if it tells the line. right narrative yeah okay that that's fair enough but I think we need to wrap this thing up yes Emily Thank you so much. All right. You're just smiling. Yeah. But follow us on all the social media platforms. ThunderBLG is where you can find the Thunder blog. Third and girl underscores on both sides of the girl. No, uh, the, the and. and. Ah, Jordy, 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 Jordy. Jordo9 is where you can find me. The Bullpen Cart is where you can subscribe to the podcast. 
mash that subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, leave a nice five-star review. We'll give you a shout-out. And that'll do it. We'll, we'll be back later this week. I don't want to give away what the podcast is. Probably not with me. Probably not with you. Possibly, depending on how it ends up shaking out. But make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you do not miss it. Join the Facebook group, the Bullpen Cart Podcast on Facebook. So you can be a part of the conversation, submit questions, all that good stuff. But for Emily, I am Jordy. Have a great week, everybody. And... Go Sixers. Go Sixers. Go Premier League.